listener asked me if I was working out while recording my first podcast. Yes, I guess, in a way. I was hiking in the woods. These are stream of consciousness recordings. I'm not working from notes. I may have some ideas in mind, but this is just the way I think. Sometimes I think in paragraphs, sometimes in sentences, uh, sometimes less than that. I do like to think while walking. Sometimes I listen to a podcast or the news, because you can do that these days. But sometimes I just muse on events of the day, of the week, the month, and even the year. Occasionally, as you found out in the first podcast, I think more widely in space and time. And almost always, I'm doing this while walking the dog. So you may hear the occasional whimper, whine, bark, or yelp of joy. My issue today has to do with whatever the Republicans are proposing for their tax cuts. I say whatever because the story keeps changing. They begin with an outline that doesn't have any scoring by the Congressional Budget Office, or anybody else for that matter, uh, that can actually use the details of the tax plan to figure out who it benefits by how much and who it hurts in the same way. I'm pretty sure this is by design. Um, they don't really want people to understand what they're doing until it's been passed and it goes into effect. And even then, these are devilishly complicated things, so it's easy for people to not fully understand what the implications of this or that change in policy may mean until the damage or the benefit has been done. I can assert without too much hesitation that whatever they're going to propose and should they enact it, won't necessarily work to the benefit of the average American citizen. So far, what I've been able to tell is they want to cut tax rates for people in the upper income brackets directly, as well as indirectly. This idea of a pass-through uh, corporation as a way to reduce a person's income tax from a very high level to something halfway toward the bottom is really just a way to shift the tax burden to people who, frankly, just can't take advantage of that approach. This certainly will benefit people who are professionals, dentists, doctors, lawyers, who may be able to declare themselves to be S-corporations or some other legal mechanism to bring their tax rate down to the 20% level instead of perhaps a 30-some percent level. That's a major difference. The other major part of what they proposed is uh, abolishing the estate tax, even though Almost no families uh, pay estate taxes, and all that do have estates worth millions of dollars. Um, nobody has been able to find a family below a $5 million mark who's had to pay estate taxes in the past decade or so. And even when my father passed away long ago in 1971, the estate taxes of that time, while much greater than they are now, were not particularly noteworthy. And a lot of people talk about this as benefiting Trump, which actually is kind of an interesting perspective since Trump himself won't be able to take advantage of the abolition of the estate tax because, well, he won't be here anymore. His family, however, will be able to feast upon what's left after he leaves us. I suppose in the sense of dynastic financial continuity, that's what he's after. Those that are rich remain so, 
and the old adage of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations won't apply. I remember one of the Rockefellers saying that, even though he was the third generation, and I think was still fabulously rich. So I look upon these proposed tax cuts and others as essentially not just a way for the rich to become richer, but to perpetuate that status through tax policy, essentially enshrine the current group of people forever in the place where they can remain rich because the source of their income, the basis of their wealth, is in their possessions, what uh, economists would call a rent economy. And that is they don't actually work anymore for the salary, the income that they have. They live off investments, savings. They live off revenues generated from properties. In this sense, they don't contribute in the same way that someone who works in a factory or digs ditches, nor are they the hardy entrepreneurs who start small businesses, which contribute the more to job growth than any corporate expansion does. So why is our famously nativist president participating in this? Well, of course, obviously, he's a member of the top tenth of one percent of wealth owners in the United States. But isn't he selling out the people who voted for him, the middle class, sometimes working class people who got him elected in the first place? Yes, of course, he is. Do they see it that way? Not yet. Will they? Probably not. You see, tax cuts, especially ones like these that favor the upper end of the income scale and perpetuate the wealth across generations, are not really detectable or perceptible by people who work for a living, who live paycheck to paycheck. For them, they're mostly focused on their daily lives, how to care for the kids, how to get somebody to this practice or lesson, how to make sure that if the car breaks down, they have some way to be able to get it repaired. They're the ones who are at the edges. They're the ones who feel the pain of a slight economic adversity more so than any wealthy person could. Yet, for them, a tax cut to the rich while it does increase the burden on them in a shifting of income from uh, them to higher places in the lack of job expansion because rich people take those proceeds from tax cuts and they either spend them on luxury items, uh, a second or third home, a yacht, or something like that, things that don't necessarily create the massive number of jobs that, say, a change in the income of people who make minimum wage would do, because there are so many of them. They tend to move it into investments, meaning that they use their money, because they're rich, to get richer. True, investments can help with economic development and growth, but not the same way that increases in salary at the lower levels would do. If you really want to have the economy grow, you have to change who gets how much money and who can spend it for things that they actually need. Poor people don't save because they can't. They spend their money 
If you want to increase sales, give money to poor people. They will spend it. But what about the out-of-work West Virginia coal miner in his 40s or 50s who voted for Trump? Is he going to benefit from these tax cuts? No. At least not how they're currently being proposed. He's not an S-corporation. He is not a proprietor of a business. He is a wage worker. And when he had a wage, he lived from paycheck to paycheck. This is not a person who has the capital in order to start a business. They're not the ones who can live off their investments. They won't see a material change in their circumstances, in their salary, because the tax cut won't reach them. They may have a job or a number of jobs in the service sector, but they're not going to be able to benefit from this set of actions. But what they will see is a decline in the services that governments provide. The question is, will they perceive it? So if you live in an urban area, you may not have as many police that are patrolling your streets. Your library may have shorter hours. The free lunches at your child's school will become a bit freer of nutrition. These are actions that governments will have to take because they won't have the resources that they need to provide the services and the protections that modern society requires. But what have the Republicans proposed in terms of changes in spending? They want to increase defense spending dramatically. Even though every increase in defense spending has resulted in some kind of U.S. participation in conflict around the world. Sometimes for good reasons, usually not for good reasons. What about domestically? If you cut taxes in the way they're talking about, without any substitutions for extra income elsewhere, you create deficit spending, or in their case, you increase deficit spending. What that will mean is uh, either you continue to add to national debt, which in itself is probably, in economic sense, not a good thing or a bad thing. It is just a thing. And there are even some that argue that it's a good thing in terms of the ability of the Fed and uh, the Treasury to influence economic activity. But because Republicans have spent generations being deficit hawks, you wonder, what will they do to be able to address these shortfalls in government income? My bet is they're going to cut certain services to groups of people who, frankly, don't matter to them. And those services they consider to be entitlements, meaning that they are undeserved because no one, no one in their eyes is entitled to anything. So what they'll do is hurt the very people who need job retraining, education, protection from uh, environmental toxins, and the like. So inspectors will be fired or not hired, school teachers will see their class sizes increase, programs targeting people who are poor and vulnerable will be eliminated for the sake of the budget. But what about the rich? Well, we've already seen some movement in terms of their physical location. Much of the past few generations has seen a resegregation of American society, not just by race, but also, and more as importantly, by income. Rich people cluster together. But that kind of distance isn't good enough for some. They now live in gated communities. 
You have to be a registered guest or known by the people even to enter the community to drive down its streets because those streets are private property. Rich people don't want poor people next door. They want poor people as far away as possible, hopefully in another country where children work in sweatshops to make the commodities that we enjoy. But the gate, the gate says something. The gate says, you're unwelcome. You're not one of us. There are the peers and there is the help. And the help needs to know its place. And that's, I think, really what is at the bottom of all of the rhetoric, outlines, and planning for things like tax cuts and budget proposals. Let's make sure that those who currently enjoy wealth retain it. And let's make sure that everybody who does not knows their place and stays in it. And if necessary, what we'll do is surround ourselves with both economic but also physical barriers of entry. The idea is to freeze in place and magnify the distance between those that have investments, wealth, and resources to prosper and those who do not. And the last thing we want to do is have the rich help pay a larger share of the cost of opportunity for those at the bottom. It's not enough to commit the perfect crime, the perfect theft today. They want to enshrine it in perpetuity, to rob people who need opportunity from it today, as well as from their children and their grandchildren. That takes gall.